What's up, Fathom fam? Welcome to the weekly Sunday Sermon Podcast. You can follow us to stay up to date on everything going on at Fathom on the Church Center app, Instagram, or YouTube, our Facebook page, or our Fathom Fam Facebook group. We hope to see you there, but for now, we're going to jump right into the message. Awesome. Good morning, Fathom Church. How are you? Hey, this is a, uh, if you're a guest here, I, I just want to welcome you. We're so glad that you've, uh, you've joined us this morning, and, and maybe you're here for the grand opening. This is the second week of our grand opening for our next-gen building, and uh, I just want to give a shout-out to all our leaders and everyone who's helped out with that process. Um, we, we're in the process of, um, or we're in the middle of a series right now called The House of God, and Pastor Kyle gave a great message um, with an even greater title uh, called Stranger Danger. And if you haven't had an opportunity, please go back. Uh, you can go online and, and or your church center app or just find us online, YouTube, whatever, and go and take a listen to that, to that message. It's going to give a lot of context for what I'm going to talk about today. And a lot of um, it, it's really going to round out this series and as we continue to move forward in it. And the scripture that uh, we're, we're going to be coming from is Ephesians 19. Uh, Ephesians 2, verse 19 through 22, and I'm going to read in just a second. But this title, House of God, when I, every time I see that concept, and the first song we, we sang today was all about it, this house of the Lord idea. And every time I hear this house of God, I kind of am like, wow, that's kind of weird. Like, that's kind of a weird way to refer to church. Like, it's, kinda, it's kind of strange. And I remember hearing it uh, when I was even a kid. And when I was a kid, I had a real bad misunderstanding of what this meant. And so, you know, I'd go to church and we're in, welcome to the house of God or house of the Lord. They would say that all the time. And I always remember thinking in my, you know, childhood mind that, what do you mean this is the house of God? Like, that's kind of, I thought God was in heaven. Like, what do you mean when you really say that? And I had this just confusion about it. And I think really people that were saying that had a lot of confusion about it as well. They would say house of God and they would really be talking about the building and so because of that, like, you couldn't bring water into the sanctuary because it was, it was the house of God and we don't want to mess up the carpet or things like that. There was just really these, a lot of, you know, almost legalistic ways of viewing the house of God as some kind of structure or building or, and it, it really is, and maybe it stems from like the, the Jewish idea of the temple and, and really as Pastor Kyle was talking about the old covenant and the things that were, that you had to do there, but in reality, that's not what God means when we talk about the house of God. It's really not what scripture says and teaches about what the house of God really is. It's something much deeper and much more profound than just a structure in a building. And so I would be remiss without starting with reading um, from uh, the the scripture of this series. And so uh, I'm going to go ahead and read from Ephesians 2, verse 19 through 22. It says, Consequently, and that means there's a lot of things that it said before that. So go read that. <laughs> go, go read that, and we're going to talk a little bit about it. But consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I didn't see anything, when I read that scripture, the, 
the thing that really pops out at me, it says that you are being built, not a building is being built. It says that you are being built up together, and then he references the temple. Well, why does he reference the temple? For a couple reasons. First off, you have, you have the, Jew, the Jews that lived in Ephesus, um, and so they understood this idea of the temple that we're a little bit more familiar with. But also in Ephesus, um, Ephesians, Ephesus, this is a city that they're in. This is a, you know, a capital city. And so in this city, there was a lot of pagan gods that they had, pagan gods made out of you know, silver or whatever, and that they worshiped. And so they actually had temples for these gods built up there. And so he's in a place that's got both Gentiles and Jews talking to them, and it's trying to make this picture of this building because that's what they're used to worshiping in. And so he's using this idea of building to talk about what the church is supposed to be. And I'm going to take a sip of water because um, I'll be honest, those communion wafers are really dry. <laughs> and so just have that in your mind as we go through this. This is what, this is what the people who are in Ephesus were viewing. This is how they were understanding what Paul is really teaching and saying here. And so when it comes to building, this is something that um, I kind of have an addiction and it's really been um, something I've talked uh, a lot about in in some private conversations that I really need to work through is I have a little bit of a project addiction um, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we were trying to sell our house and then moved into a new house. We have a baby on the way, like all these different things that are really just kind of making me have to do it or seemingly have to do it. Well, before we moved um, into our new house, um, and really my first year into marriage, and uh, I I took on a task that really could have probably, in a lot of cases, ruined a marriage. I decided, uh, with the approval of my wife, to renovate our bathroom. And when I say renovate, I mean like bring it down to the studs and build it up again, which was completely not necessary for what I was actually trying to do. Well, you know, I got the, the all clear to do it, and um, it took me, you know, way longer than it really should have taken me. But um, regardless, you know, we got it completed. And, um, but in the process, I... Like, I got through, like, I did the drywall, did the floor tiles, um, did the vanity, did the toilet, which was not on purpose. I broke the old toilet on accident. Um, and then I moved to the hardest part. And the hardest part was tiling the shower. You know, and when I say tiling the shower, it's tiles, you know, similar to this. Um, and you're basically building it up and making the shower look great. And before I get into this, I want to read a quick scripture and it's going to all kind of round it together. So Ephesians, this is 2 in verses uh, 1 through 5. 2 verses 1 through 5. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom in the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thought, thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even, we were, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Our second song that we sang today was, it was singing about new life. And sometimes when we, we talk about new life, 
Um, maybe we don't understand that that's actually the opposite. Like, we talk about life in Christ. Well, it's really the opposite of death. We sing about the good, but sometimes we don't think about what it's actually coming out of. This idea of spiritually dead is kind of hard to comprehend, and, and unless you've accepted Christ and you're living for Christ and you have this understanding of life, it's really hard to understand what the death part feels like and what the death part is experienced by. And in my study for this, I came across a quote um, that, hold on tight, it's actually really depressing. I, like, it's, it's, it's really depressing. And, um, but I read it and was like, that, that's, ex- that's such a great description of a life without Christ. And so I want to read it, and like I said, just, just, just bear with me. I, I think it's important for where we're going here. It says, He has imbibed the fatal poison. It runs in his veins. The doom of sin lies on his unforgiven spirit. He carries death and judgment about with him. They lie down with him at night and wake with him in the morning. They take part in his transactions. They sit by his side in the feast of life. His works are dead works. His joys and hopes are all shadowed and tainted. Within his life, or within his living frame, he bears a coffin soul. With the machinery of life, with the faculties and possibilities of a spiritual being, the man lies crushed under the activity of the senses, wasted and decaying for want of the breath of the Spirit of God. In its coldness and powerlessness, too often in its visible corruption, his nature shows the symptoms of advancing death. It is dead as the tree is dead, cut off from its root, as the fire is dead when the spark has gone out, dead as a man is dead when the heart stops. It is, when I read that, I was on the verge of tears, just thinking of the fact that I used to live in that life. And when I read the part um, where it says, um, within his living frame he bears a coffin soul, with the machinery of life, with the faculties and possibilities of a spiritual being. The man has a crushed under the activity of the senses, wasted and decaying for want of the breath of the Spirit of God. This idea of narrowing down life to basically just an activity of the senses, an activity of the senses, really just blew my mind. And uh, I think that's how, before Christ, and if you're here and you don't have Christ in your life, that's how it can feel sometimes. It can feel like you're just going through the motions of life, just going from one thing to the other. There's no purpose behind any of it because none of it matters because you are dead without Christ. And so when we talk about the house of God, which is really the church, we're talking about the church, it is all focused around Christ. The whole being and whole purpose of the church is to give glory and praise to God And so Christ is our chief cornerstone. What is a cornerstone? Okay, we we hear that word sometimes in the church. Like, what is? Well, basically, what a cornerstone is is it's the part of the how. When you build a a building, it's what you base your foundation off of. So it's how you make sure it's not the the leaning tower. You know, it's it's straight. And so bringing you back to uh, me doing this bathroom, well, the most important part, and I did a ton of research when it came to uh, tiling a shower, I had never done any of this before. So this is all like YouTube training of how to renovate a bathroom. Well, I brought in, you know, I, I watched every video, and okay, it said the most important thing when you're tiling a bathroom or tiling a shower is to get the bottom row level. All right, so I'm like, okay, so how do I get the bottom row level? 
you use a level, right? And so, well, you're, you're spreading all this mud on there, so if you get one of these big levels, you'll be sticking it in the mud all the time. So everyone's saying, go get yourself a laser level. And I'm gonna use any opportunity as possible to buy something new that's fun to play with. And so I bought a laser level, set it up, and I have this you know, nice lasered line across my wall. And so I begin building you know, my, bottom my bottom layer of tiles, and I'm thinking, okay, this is gonna be perfect. I get about four rows up and realize that nothing is level. Like, nothing is level at all. It's all wrong. And if I don't get the bottom row right, when I get to the top, I'm going to have tiles that are just nowhere near right. So I had to tear all the tiles down and restart, come to find out, like, my, my level just, I wasn't using it right or something. And uh, I ended up going back to the hand level just to make sure I did it right. Well, in the same way, we as a, a church, if we're not focused and our foundation is not on Christ, then we are not going to be level. We're not going to be level in any way. And all, everything that we're trying to do uh, as a church really isn't for any reason at all. Like, it, there's no purpose behind it at all. Our church actually becomes what that, what that quote was about. Like, we're just activity of the senses. And so, um, our, our first thing we have to do is focus all of our energy on being life. Well, what is being life? Being life being. <laughs> it sounds kind of silly, but basically what I'm saying is we have to have Christ in our life and be in relationship with Christ. If Christ is the source of life, then we need to be with life and be with Christ. I think that uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this the best. 4 verse 7 through 9, it says, uh, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all, super, all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. There's nothing you can do to earn yourself salvation or earn yourself a better standing with God or to be closer to God by some kind of actions you're doing. No, God is saying that, that you are to just be with him, just exist in his presence, because we're just jars of clay. Like, we, we got to take a step back from our pride and just say, hey, understand that we are not anything more than jars of clay, but God still loves us. God still loves us so much that actually we get to carry around with us this treasure. And so uh, when we talk about being with Christ, well, how, how often do we actually do that? And so, I, you know, just thinking through my life, and I don't say this um, to butter my own biscuit or anything like that, but I basically just, you know, just to be honest, like I'm a bivocational pastor. And so what is the reality of that is I have another nine to five job that I work every day. And so I'm going from that sometimes to church stuff and then, um, you know, family stuff. And there's a lot of moving around. And sometimes I get so busy for my own good that I never really stop and be with Christ. And so uh, Pastor Kyle last month did a whole... Um, video series and in person of called 24-6. And this is just that idea of the Sabbath. You know, we talk a lot about the Sabbath in this church. More than any other church I've ever been at in my life, we talk about the Sabbath. And because we believe that it's very important for you to be with Christ. And to set aside time to stop and just be in Christ. And maybe that's something you're doing. Maybe you are, you know, you're doing, you're taking a day out of your week and you're focusing on forgetting all the tasks that you have to do and you're just stopping and resting in Christ. But every other day of the week, you're like, whatever. 
well, that doesn't really, that's not really using the Sabbath the right way either. Like this, this is something, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're somebody who's like, just wants to distract yourself from the problems that you have in your life. And so you're going from one thing to the other. Um, you've got to get the kids to, to dance recital. You've got to get your kids to football practice or whatever. You've got to go all these things and you've got to take care. You bring work home with you. You're just doing everything you can to distract from the fact that your relationship with God isn't what it should be. And the things in your life that are standing in the way will always be standing there when you do that. And so our duty, if we want to be a church that is grounded and focused in, in really being the house of God as a community, not a building, but as a house of God together and living out this mission that God has given us, we have to stop and be in Christ and be in life. We have to be a church that is life being. We have to stay grounded, and this is going to take some humility. You might have some pride and just think that you can do it all. And if there was a choir back here, I'd be preaching to it. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, and, uh, and just the, re- the reality is that if we don't take a second and just stop every single day and just be in Christ's presence, when we're doing our daily tasks that we have to do, be in Christ's presence. Um, you know, we talk about, uh, about praying and having a prayer for life and the whole pray without ceasing, you know, pray without ceasing. Well, what does that really mean? Well, it's being in a constant communication with God, being in constant communication with God knowing that you've got the Holy Spirit to help guide you in, in, your, in your life and the things that you do. And out of this freedom and relationship we have in God, that, hey, all these tasks, at the end of the day, like our focus should be God, the church is also to be life-building. And so this is the building up of the church. This is what we do when we gather on Sunday mornings or for small groups. This is what happens when we pray together, when we, when we worship together. This is what happens when we rebuke the enemy and correct each other. This is really the internal function of the church. It's not really the out, outside function yet. It's more of like the church body and how it interacts with each other. And I think the first way that it, it needs to interact with each other is te- teaching and learning. Like every Sunday, you know, we have, we have a message because we're trying to teach something to everyone or we're trying to point you towards Christ. Um, and on the other end, like we always have an opportunity to be learning. And sometimes we think that these are the only opportunities to be teaching and learning, but the reality is God has gifted you all in many different ways, and you have a lot of life experience that other people don't have, and so really we should be teaching and learning all the time with each other. And uh, it takes a little bit of a, um, <laughs> a step back in pride sometimes to be on that learning side. You know, you, you have to be able to set your pride aside and have humility, and that's the key word I'm going to continue saying is have some humility and, and really open yourself up to learn. You don't know it all. I don't know it all. Pastor Kyle doesn't know it all. No one on the staff knows it all. I promise you we don't all know it all. And so we have a responsibility to try to learn and glean from each other. Um, we see this, we see Paul doing this um, uh, in Ephesus. Um, in Acts 19, um, uh, Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 6. Do you have that for me? It says, um, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. 
Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There was a whole section of the church that had no idea about the Holy Spirit. This key, I, this key tenet of, really, of Christianity, this whole idea that, hey, we're not alone in what we're doing, like we have, a, uh, have the Spirit that's here with us to guide us in everything that we do, they had no clue of it, had no idea about it. What is, Holy Spirit, I haven't heard of this guy. Who's this guy? No, they had no idea. How often do we walk around and have no idea the things that we can learn from someone else if we just step back and listen, just step back and hear? How often do we have things that we can tell to each other and teach each other from our life experiences and things that we've learned, studied, and we don't share it because we're afraid we might be wrong or we might offend somebody or, or whatever the case may be? So we have a responsibility to be teaching and learning from each other. I'm really cheating here because I have like quite a few um, multiple subpoints for this. And so I say, it's, oh, I've only got three subpoints. Well, really, I've got like six. Um, and, and this next one, uh, I honestly hate talking about this. I really do. Like, because I just feel like there's, it makes me nervous that there's going to be somebody at the edge of their seat, like ready for me to say this because they're just so excited to hear me say um, that the church should be rebuking and correcting. And I want to tell you, like, if, if that's you right now, if you're someone who's like, yeah, talk about it, rebuking and correcting. I've been trying to tell that one person that they're wrong for a week. Like, you're wrong. Like, that, that's not what this is. Like, we shouldn't be looking for opportunities to rebuke and correct. But it is still the responsibility of the church to rebuke and correct. Uh, and, and sometimes, like, we can, like I said, we can come from that heart of, like, all right, a Christian looks like this. This is what a Christian is supposed to do. And um, this person's not doing that, so they said I need a rebuke and correct, so hey, you're wrong. You're doing all this wrong. No. We should be coming at this from a heart of love and grace. And really, when you're in that other field where you're just looking for opportunities to rebuke and correct, you're not seeking after unity, really. Like, if unity is the goal, you're nowhere near it. You're looking more for uniformity. You're saying your idea is that a Christian is this. And so they need to be this, so here's what I'm going to tell them to do so that they're this. And in reality, uniformity just really it is a form of legalism. Like when you're trying to seek for uniformity, everybody to look the same, what you're really doing is uh, you're turning what could be unity into something that's legalism. And legalism isn't really what we're, we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be legalistic as, as a church. Legalism is actually an ancient Chinese philosophy. Like, if you look up what is legalism, first thing that pops, pops up, ancient Chinese philosophy that says um, that humans are bad and so they need a moral set of rules and principles that somebody else decides and they have to live by it and if they're wrong, they get punished. That, that's, the, like, that's where we use that term legalism. Is really it's it's like these set of rules, and God has called us, again, that idea of new covenant that Pastor Kyle talked about um, is so fitting here that we have a new covenant in Christ, and that not to say that it's a free-for-all, just do what you want, that's not what we're saying here, but really, correcting and rebuking should come from a form of prayerful, uh, 
thoughtful, grace, love. These words that, if we don't do anything with, mean nothing. But when we have a heart that's being with God, that we have a life-being church, we, our heart is now in tune with the Spirit. And when our heart is in tune with the Spirit, instead of looking for these opportunities, we just notice them. And so in our relationship with God, we're able to say, hey, the Spirit's really got me, got me on this. Like, I know that this is an issue. And instead, I can take a step back and say, all right, God, how do I approach this person? God, fill my, like, fill my spirit, God. I can only approach this person through you and correct them and rebuke it through you. And then we have a church that instead of tearing each other down, is building each other up. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to build up each other. Um, and another way that we have to do this is prayer and care. We have to be praying for each other. We have to be praying for that person that, um, that maybe we don't jive with the best. <laughs> maybe we don't have the best, um, you know, the personality maybe gets to you a little bit or things that, you know, just might bug you. They, they might just be someone who bugs you. Like, there's people that do that. They bug you. And the reality is that when, when we stay in tune with the Spirit, we're going to be praying for those persons, and we're going to be praying for ourselves and our attitudes towards them. We're going to be praying for each other when, when, for no reason at all, and for when they're going through things. I, I, who else in here has felt like the past two years have been kind of rough, like, it's been kind of a rough couple years, right? And, and I say all the time, like, I don't know what I would do without the church. Like, if I didn't have God in my life and I didn't have the church, I do not know how I would have made it through these past two years with my sanity. Because you have all these different things flying at you. But I know that we have a church that's been in prayer. I've seen so many times where somebody has, you know, sick or hurt, or, or, and I see people that have just step up and is like, I got their meals. Like, what can I do to help them? And maybe, maybe nobody hears about that except for the person who's actually dealing with it. But like that is a good thing in this church, in this body, this congregation of the house of God, is that we want to care for each other and we want to be in prayer for each other. And that we can approach things that other, others can't approach because we have a spirit of prayer and care in this community. And, uh, and, and, and the way to do that is, is to find those opportunities. Um, and maybe you're someone like me, like, I am the introvert of all introverts, believe it or not, and you probably believe it because you're like, why didn't he talk to me today? I passed him and he just, it, it is something that God has worked on me in my heart for, for a while, because I can't let my personality get in the way of, um, how I interact with other people, but maybe you're somebody like me and you're like, man, you're talking about praying for somebody, like, I know they're going through something and God called me to go pray with them, but... Uh, this is too awkward. Like, there's no way I'm doing it. Like, they're going to hear what I say. They're going to hear me speak. <laughs> they're going to hear me talk, and I'm going to feel awkward, and I'm not going to know what to say. Um, marriage, we had marriage uh, conference um, last, was it, was it only last weekend? Yeah, last weekend. Uh, and we were in one of the breakouts, and I'm not going to say anything about, guys, don't worry. Like, I'm not going to say, I'm not spilling anybody's beans or anything. Um, but there was something that was said that, uh, and I'm trying to remember how to say it, but um, 
the Ministry of Presence. I think it was, uh, it was, uh, it was Taryn's father that said that, uh, uh, Pastor Tim. Um, the Ministry of Presence. And I was like, you know, when I say presence, I don't mean like Christmas gifts, like presents. No, the ministry of just being there with somebody. And that's part of the care. It's just sometimes, and I'm Mr. Fix-It, so I want to fix it, but sometimes, like, it's a ministry of just being there with each other and existing with each other. Not trying to solve the problem, not trying to, uh, you know, try, not, not trying to do anything but being there and praying for them. And, uh, and, and we've been called to be that kind of church. And then, you probably all knew this one was coming, but we are called to be a life-giving church. This is the outward focus of the church. This is the part of the church that is present with the community in which it resides. In other words, present with the world. This is the part of the church that um, has inspired things like the food pantry that we have here. Has has has, um, you know, inspired all the different outreach things that we do as a church. And it's easy for us to really look at that and say, all right, so we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this, and all these people are, are going to be saved, and they're all going to find Christ, and that's it. Like, all I have to do is give them, you know, give them food, and, and they're definitely going to become a Christian. The problem is we don't have actually give them the opportunity to hear who God is, really. Because, honestly, like, the reality is not everyone has a good view of the church. First off, they don't understand what the church really is. The whole purpose of, uh, and, I've, and I've heard uh, this many times as I've been here at Fathom Church, was the idea of t- to understand church, like, t- to know what church really is. And um, so some people don't really have that, like, they see the church as, um, a place you go because it's a cultural thing that you do, um, and you wash your hands every Sunday, and then you're good to go. Um, and that's not that's not what the church really is. And so, maybe that's the perception. Maybe the perception is, you know, I went to that church that was uh, they were about uniformity, and so it was all legalistic. And so, like, I'm done with God. I'm I'm, I'm good. Maybe the maybe the attitude of people is, um, well, I lost this person in my life. Or this person hurt me and they said they were a Christian, so I don't really want anything to do with Christians or God. That could be a way that people view God. And so the reality is we have um, a challenge sometimes to change the perception of, what, of how people view, um, view the church. And it's not something that we can do our own, on our own. We've been gifted, given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we have, this, um, uh, this, this, the, we have God living inside of us and giving us these gifts and abilities to do these things. Um, but the reality is that that's sometimes how people view the church. And so when we're going out and we're doing things like this, these food pantries, and when we as a church gather together, and we're going, we're going still together by ourselves sometimes, though, going to, to our work, our job, and we're talking about the things that we've done at church, and, and maybe we're just needing to uh, be there for somebody who, um, you know, needs, needs somebody to be prayerful and care, and, and care for them that we don't, that aren't even a part of the church. And so um, we have, by <laughs> the church by its very nature, has this responsibility to be life-giving in the community. And, uh, and sometimes, um, honestly, it is offensive. It doesn't mean the church should be trying to be offensive, 
but sometimes by its very nature, the church is offensive. And I, that's another one of those things I always hate saying and even talking about because it's something that the enemy can turn. Um, and really, we start seeing people that are like, yeah, we can be offensive. <laughs> like, like, we have, it's okay. This is how you should be, you know. No, that's not what, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Just by their, its very nature, the church can be offensive. And I'll show you an example of this. In Acts chapter 19, verses 23 through 27. Acts chapter 19, verses 23 and 27. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way, the church. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. This is in Ephesus. So this, this guy named Demetrius, like all of these different, like what he does basically is he builds gods, pagan gods in that community. That's his job. That's how he makes a living. That's how he has an income. And so he called them together along with the workers and related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray a large number of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by humans' hands are no gods at all. There's a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. <laughs> So these people had a legitimate problem with, like, with God. In their minds, it was a legitimate problem because, hey, you're, you're bringing all these people and you're making all these people believe that like, these gods, we don't really need them. And so I'm losing business. I'm losing money. Like My family like, relies on this money. And you're saying that like, you're teaching people something else. And so they don't want anything to do with the gods that I have. <laughs> That's by, very, by its very nature offensive to this, this person. It's by its very nature puts kind of a wedge in between what, how he views what the church really is. But the thing is, going back to what we talked about being dead without Christ, this person was dead without Christ. There, he was focusing all of his power and energy on things of this world and not things of heaven. And so when he sees <clears throat> the way rising up and the way coming up, he sees a church that he doesn't even have that language, but a church that is really just taking from him. Like, I'm losing all this business because of you. And the reality is, if he would have just taken a step back and listened and believed in God, he would see a church that's doing quite the opposite. And so we have a responsibility to show the world that. To show the world, you know, we live in the way that God has called us to, spiritually, uh, like, we're supposed to be living out of the scripture that we've been taught, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, prayerfully and carefully doing this. But we also have to stand in the truth of Christ. And so sometimes it can be difficult. Sometimes when we see and hear situations where somebody lost a loved one and so they're just mad at God and so, you know, they... They just turn their back on God, and so really, we're there, and we're trying, trying to talk to them about God, but they don't want to listen. Be with them. Be with them. Give them life of, with a shoulder to cry on. 
And in time, consistency, we can begin to change people's hearts. And really, we're not changing it. The Holy Spirit is changing these people's hearts. Um, <clears throat> we're going to be singing a song here that, in a moment that, um, if, if you've been to a church in the past 10 years, you've probably heard it. Like, you've probably heard this song. Um, song's How He Loves. And, um, and there's two versions of this song. <laughs> and you might know this. There's one where it, it's talking about like heaven meets earth with a sloppy wet kiss. Another version is heaven meets earth with an unforeseen kiss. If you don't know what to sing today, just sing whatever you want. <laughs> um, but this song was written by, uh, the, the artist's name is um, John Mark McMillan. Um, and when he wrote this song, he wrote it out of a heart that was really just mad at God. His, his friend had just died. And he was just coming down and like in prayerfulness, like just writing all of his emotions onto a piece of paper. And he came out with these words, <laughs> the opposite of the words he expected to write of how he loves. God has called us given us Jesus Christ, who's called us out of death into life because of his love for us. Because of his love for us. And so when we're talking about being a church, that's well, life being, being with Christ and building each other up and then going out into the world and, and trying to share this life with others, what we're talking about all comes from this idea that Christ loves us. And so from everything we do, this love should flow out of us. We're singing about how he loves us, desperately crying out to God that, hey, I don't, like the situation I'm in, the things that I'm dealing with, like I know that you're there for me and you love me. And because you love me, even though I don't even want to right now, I'm going to sit in your presence. I'm going to build up my neighbor. And I'm going to give this life to others. And so as we sing this song, maybe you're somebody you've never, like, like the idea of coming out of death, in, death into life, you're still kind of confused by it, and you're just like, I don't know what you mean, but I know God's doing something right now. There's going to be people at the crosses here for you to talk to, to pray with you. If you're somebody who's going through something right now and you just want somebody to pray for you, we are here to be the church that is life-building. Somebody will pray for you at these crosses, or hey, grab your neighbor and say, hey, I need, I need you to pray with me. If you're someone who knows that there's a calling on your spirit and on your heart that you could do more out in the world and in the community, that you're, you're, you've been holding on to God selfishly for yourself and you don't have, you, you feel like you're just, you don't have the personality to go and talk to people. Like you feel so trapped by your own personality and your own spirit. <laughs> this isn't, this is the time where I'm going to rebuke that. Like that's... <laughs> You aren't the one doing it. The Holy Spirit through you is. I've, and I've seen it. I've seen people that you never would think they'd be someone that would share the gospel with people and through word and deed, but they do it. They do it because it's God's called them to and they know and they're, they're so desperately in love with God that they, out of the Holy Spirit's guidance, are able to do that. So don't let that hold you back. Don't let that be an excuse. 
Don't let that be something that keeps you from doing the things that God has called you to do. God, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you for your love. God, we worship you today, God. We know that this word is from you. That you've given us this treasure in jars of clay, God, that that we have to share with the world, God, that we have to build each other up, God, that we just want to exist in your presence, God, that we want to stop running from you. I pray that you can help us do that. God, I pray that you open someone's heart today to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening in today. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus, we want to celebrate with you. To connect with us about what your next step with Jesus might be, or even if you need help figuring that out, you can text the keyword FATHOM to 97000 anytime and follow the prompts. You can also go ahead and type in the search bar of your podcast app, Fathom Beyond Sunday. And there you'll find our new podcast. You'll be able to listen in on some really great conversations, just taking the truth of God's word from our Sunday sermon a step further, talking about how we can apply these truths to our everyday lives between Monday and Saturday, not just on Sunday. We love you. We're praying for you. And we hope you'll tune in again soon.